Hello. Today's episode contains rape, sexual assault, violence, and murder. Some listeners may find the content disturbing. Listener discretion is advised. If you or someone you know needs help, please contact the NCDSV, the National Center on Domestic and Sexual Violence, at one 800 799 SAFE. That is 1-800-799-SAFE. All calls are confidential. To respect the anonymity of the victims in this case, some names have been changed. On July 17, 1974, 15-year-old Norma Countryman sat on the side of the road in Ridgefield, Washington, smoking a cigarette when a man in a blue van pulled up and asked if she needed a ride. Norma accepted the ride without knowing the dangers that awaited her. Upon entering the man's van, Norma was held at knife point by the man and was driven to a remote wooded area of Tooks Mountain in Battleground, Washington, just 13 miles away. Soon after they arrived at Tooks Mountain, the man drove his van down a road that led to a locked service gate. At that time, the man beat Norma while in the van. In a fit of rage, the man pulled Norma out of the van, took her into the nearby forest, and cut her bra off and used it as a makeshift gag and put it into Norma's mouth. While Norma was gagged, the man hogtied Norma's ankles and her wrists together and laid her between two trees. After doing this, the man told Norma that he would be back for her later and quickly left back to the van. Norma, terrified at what she had just encountered and scared that the man would come back for her, decided to try and escape. She managed to chew through the rope that was holding in the gag. However, in doing so, Norma chewed half of her lip off in the process. Once she was able to remove the gag, she managed to get up while still being hogtied and stumbled away to a nearby field. As she was doing this, Norma heard a noise off in the distance. She feared it was the man coming back to keep good on his promise. She quickly fell to the ground and laid there frozen and quiet until she no longer heard the man. After spending the night in the woods, Norma managed to chew through more of her restraints and continued on foot to find help. It was in that morning that Norma stumbled upon a building that was owned by the Clark County Parks and Recreation Department, and she saw an employee there. The Park and Rec's employee assisted Norma in the best way he could and immediately phoned 911. While the employee was helping Norma, he noticed the severe rope burns on her face and that her lip was nearly gone. Norma was taken to the police station where she was interviewed and described her horrific event to the officers. However, she would not be the last victim. On October 1st, 1974, just two months after Norma's abduction, a woman who will refer to as Julie was in Portland, Oregon walking on the sidewalk when a man in a blue van pulled up alongside her. The man told Julie 
that he was a student from Seattle University and he'd been working on his thesis and offered her money to take photographs of her. Although Julie was hesitant, she decided to go with the man. Just moments after she entered the van, the man pulled a knife out and threatened to kill her. He then bound Julie with tape and drove her from Oregon into Washington to a secluded area of Crown Park in Camas, Washington. When they arrived, the man tried to rape Julie in the back of his van, but Julie fought and fought hard. And in the process of fighting back, Julie was shot multiple times in the chest with an airsoft pistol. Julie was then taken out of the van, forced to the ground, and raped. When the man was done, he tied a rope around Julie's neck and led her down a secluded path further into the desolate forest. Julie was then placed on a log and strangled into unconsciousness. While Julie lay there, she was stabbed five times in the chest. Julie was then covered in branches and debris to hide her body and was left for dead. However, Julie was not dead. Julie woke up to find herself naked, gravely wounded, and surrounded by forest. She managed to find the strength and will to walk to a nearby service road and flagged down a passerby who took her to safety. Once Julie was in the police custody, the police found similarities in Julie and Norma's stories, and the next day, on October 2, 1974, the police served a search warrant at the residence of Warren Leslie Forrest and arrested him for the assault and abduction of Julie. During the search, police found a footlocker in Warren's blue Ford van that contained an airsoft pistol, tape, bailing twine, and a knife. Forrest was immediately taken into custody, and a week later, he pled not guilty by reason of insanity. Both Norma and Julie were able to positively identify their attacker in a lineup that was conducted at the station. Warren Leslie Forrest was born in Vancouver, Washington on June 29, 1949. He was an honor roll student and lettered in track and field at Fort Vancouver High School. After high school, he served in the U.S. Army as a Spec 5 missile crew service gunner in Vietnam. In 1970, at the age of 21, he attended the North American School of Conservation in Newport Beach, California. Warren also lived in Texas for a short period. In January of 1971, at 22 years old, Warren became employed by the Clark County Parks and Recreation Department in the state of Washington. He was arrested, and he also had a wife and two daughters. Ten days after Warren's arrest, hunters were in the northern part of Clark County near Dole Valley Road when they came across bones that they suspected were human remains. The medical examiner confirmed that the bones found were in fact human, and also confirmed that there were two sets of skeletal remains. The medical examiner was able to confirm that one of the skeletal remains was that of Carol Valenzuela. Carol went missing from downtown Vancouver on August 2, 1974. 
nearly two weeks after Norma's abduction. Detectives tried to use dental records to identify the skeletal remains of the second set of bones found. However, they were unsuccessful. Detectives during their investigation were trying to piece together all the information that they had. However, none of it was adding up. In addition, the detectives had suspicions that Warren knew more than what he was letting on to. The detectives decided to look over the missing person reports for the last two years to see if there was any links between them and Warren. As they were investigating, they found more missing women that could, in fact, be linked to Warren. They discovered that three years earlier, on December 7, 1971, a teenage girl named Jamie Grissom had gone missing. As Jamie left for school that morning, she told her sister Star that she was going to walk home from school that day and would be home around 1 in the afternoon. Jamie attended Fort Vancouver High School, just two miles from her foster house. The day of December 7th was like any other chilly December day. However, when Jamie's sister Star noticed that Jamie hadn't returned home from school by 1, she began to worry. By 4.30 that evening, Star called their caseworker to report her sister missing. The caseworker went to the police to report Jamie as a missing person. However, at that time, missing person reports could not be filed for 30 days. The police considered her a runaway. The caseworker explained to the police that Jamie was not a runaway and that she would never leave her little sister behind. However, the missing person report was not filed until January 10th 1972. As police looked further into the missing person case, they found out that Jamie's belongings had been scattered in a particular area. Jamie's school ID and school papers were found scattered along Dole Valley Road by an 11-year-old boy. However, when police searched the area for more evidence of Jamie and where she could have been, they found nothing. Investigators realized that the items found that belonged to Jamie were near the two other human remains that were recovered and decided to look further into Jamie's case and other victims as well. Police suspected that Jamie went missing while walking home from school that December day and was picked up by Warren in his blue van. This was plausible because Warren worked for the Clark County Park and Recs Department and their main office was located near Fort Vancouver High School. Warren probably saw Jamie walking home in the cold and offered her a ride home. On January 23, 1975, a few months after Warren's initial arrest, Warren Leslie Forrest was found not guilty by reason of insanity and was acquitted of all charges. Warren was then committed to the Western State Hospital in Fort Stillicum, Washington on January 31st. Since Warren was found legally insane and not criminally charged, this meant that Warren could be released from the state hospital in just a few short years. Detectives knew that Warren would gain conditional release from the state hospital in a short period of time if they could not come up with more evidence to prove that he was an evil person and a danger to the community. 
For the next year, the detectives would work tirelessly in trying to find more evidence against Warren for other crimes. They went back to the scene where Norma had been abducted and taken into the woods at Tooks Mountain and finally found what they had been looking for. However, it was not what they expected to find. On July 11, 1976, human remains were found in a shallow grave at Tooks Mountain just over a hundred feet from where Norma had been hogtied between two trees. The remains were positively identified as Krista Blake, a young woman who had gone missing two years prior on the same date, on July 11th, but in 1974. Krista Blake went missing just six days prior to Norma's abduction. The detectives excavated the site and discovered that Krista's remains were partially dressed and that her bra was missing. Her ankles and wrists were bound in the same hog-tied manner that Norma and Julie were found in. The detectives obtained further evidence from the scene and sent it to the state crime lab to be processed. They learned that the twine that was used to bound Krista was the same twine that Warren had in his footlocker. In fact, the crime lab analysis stated that the twine was possibly from the same spool. The discovery of Krista Blake's remains intensified the investigation into Warren even further. Detectives knew that Warren was responsible for her death and interviewed co-workers of Warren's to obtain any useful information. Co-workers of Warren stated that the day after Krista's disappearance, Warren showed up to work with scratches on his face and marks all over him. The detectives started to see that Warren was more dangerous than he was letting on to be and could very well be responsible for more murders. Knowing this, the detectives looked further into other missing person cases from around Southwest Washington. That was when they found another possible victim by the name of Barbara Derry. On February 11th, 1972, 18-year-old Barbara Derry was last seen hitchhiking on State Highway 14, just east of Vancouver. The following month, her remains were discovered at the bottom of a silo near the old Cedar Creek Grist Mill in Woodland, Washington. Barbara's body was found under multiple wooden boards and debris and was partially disrobed, and her bra had been taken the medical examiner determined the cause of Barbara's death to be a single stab wound to the heart with a narrow-bladed object. The police quickly saw the similarities in the case and tried to link them to Warren. However, at that time, evidence was not stored to the degree that it is today, and there was not enough physical evidence to connect Warren to Barbara's murder. Shortly after realizing that Barbara Derry was a possible victim of Warren, another victim was considered. Her name was Diane Gilchrist. She was 14 years old and went missing on May 29, 1974, and was last seen at her residence getting into a van with a white male. Diane was never seen or heard from again. For the next two years, Police spent countless hours trying to find more evidence and trying to identify the set of human remains that were found at Dole Valley Road. 
the investigators brought in a sketch artist to try and draw a picture of the unidentified victim and post it to the public to see if they could assist in identification. But much to everyone's disappointment, it was to no avail. On May 9th, 1978, another set of human remains were found at Lacamas Lake. These remains belonged to Gloria Knudsen, who was last seen on May 31st, 1974, and reported missing on June 4th, 1974. When police were called out to excavate the remains, they saw a familiar sight. Just down the road around the corner was where Julie, one of the surviving victims of Warren, had been held. The investigators knew that they were dealing with another one of Warren's victims. By that August in 1978, the Washington State Crime Lab had concluded their examinations and compiled their report and findings about the Crystal Blake homicide. There was enough physical evidence to charge Warren with the murder of Crystal Blake, and in 1979, Warren Leslie Forrest was convicted for the murder of Crystal Blake and was sentenced to life in prison. In February of 2014, Warren was up for parole. The parole board investigated his case and read through his psych evaluations while he was at the state hospital. They found out that Warren had admitting to killing an upwards of 17 women, ranging from the ages of 15 to 30, and he went into great detail about each of the crimes. However, the detailed accounts of the crimes and who the victims were have never been publicly released. When confronted by the board about his psych evaluations and the information that was in it. He refused to discuss it and refused to discuss any information that could further implement him in any other murders. After his parole hearing, the parole board deemed that Warren Leslie Forrest was not parolable and they added another 60 months to his sentence. They stated that Warren was still a great danger to society and even the psych evaluator said that if released, Warren would offend again. Later that year in 2014, investigators received a long-awaited break in the case. The cold case investigative unit had begun new testing on the items found in the locker that was in Warren's van when he was arrested and concluded that the DNA from the unidentified victim was on the airsoft pistol. However, they still did not know who the unidentified victim was. 40 years later, in 2015, using familial DNA, they were able to identify the victim found at Dole Valley Road as Martha Morrison. In September of 1974, Martha and her boyfriend visited family in Springfield, Oregon. And a week after their visit, her boyfriend called Martha's family to see if they had heard from her or seen her, and they told him they had not. It is suspected that she went missing in the Portland area in September 1974 and was possibly picked up by Warren and murdered. Investigators now had the evidence to formally charge Warren for Martha Morrison's murder. In August of 2017, 
Warren Leslie Forrest went in front of the parole board yet again to prove he was a changed man and was parolable. The parole board asked him why he committed the crimes. Warren stated, quote, There were good girls and there were bad girls. In my distorted thinking, good girls do not take rides from strangers. End quote. He also stated to the parole board that he was stressed working two jobs, being a husband, and a father, and he allowed himself to play out violent fantasies as a distraction. When Warren was asked about the other suspected victims that he killed, he only stated that he felt sorrow for their families. Ultimately, Warren was denied parole again and had another 90 months added to his life sentence. While incarcerated at the Washington State Penitentiary, Warren married his prison nurse, who lives in Walla Walla, Washington. In January 2020, Warren Leslie Forrest was formally charged with the murder of Martha Morrison and is currently at the Clark County Jail awaiting his trial. He is 71 years old. Norma Countryman still lives in the Vancouver area to this day, and she is a survivor. In 2014, Norma was able to finally meet the man that found her on the day she escaped Warren. His name is Jim Bellow, and he too was a Clark County Park and Recs employee. Norma was happy to thank the man that helped save her life on that morning, and they both share a tethered, fateful bond of that day. Still to this day, Diane Gilchrist and Jamie Grissom have not been found. Jamie's sister, Star, still holds hope that someday she will be able to find her sister or find out what happened to her. <laughs>